1: To the silver screen. Welcome back listeners to the fifth installment in our Karate Kid movie review series. Today we are reviewing The Karate Kid, the 2010 remake. This is your co-host Corbin. I'm Alan. Now if you don't want to know the plot of the movie, if you already know, if you just care about hearing our scores or our rankings of all of the series, then those timestamps are in the description below allowing you to easily jump ahead to your desired section of the podcast. Also, if you are listening on iTunes, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating. We please ask that you do that because that's a great free way to support us. It helps us get noticed in the ranking so other people looking for a fun movie review podcast are more easily able to find us that way. Or if you're not listening on iTunes, then please go ahead and leave us a five-star rating wherever you download podcasts. We are on every major podcast platform now, so check the links in the description below. You will have links to all of the podcast platforms that we are on right now. And the other benefit to leaving us five stars on iTunes is it helps us reach our goal of being as verified critics on Rotten Tomatoes. So we don't just have to comment on the rating on Rotten Tomatoes. We can help contribute to that as well. So 2010 comes around. The Karate Kid is coming out. Who would have thought, yeah, we we need a Karate Kid remake. But remember that movie that came out in the 80s? Oh, oh, yeah, my dad saw that and he liked it. Or I, I think I've heard of it. I don't know.
0: That's right. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, 2010s kind of was the beginning of what we know now as the modern remake. They are nothing new, obviously, but I would say around this time, remakes really started to become a big thing in, in culture, remaking things from the 80s, from the 70s, mostly um, into modern and a more modern day rendition. So I don't remember. Rem- I don't remember this movie coming out. I, no, I, I know I've seen it. I watched it when it when it did release on uh, DVD. I think I, we had probably rented it from the library or something. Um, so I have seen it, but I don't rem- really remember this coming out in 2010.
1: I, you know, once I actually watched the trailer again for this movie, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I remember this trailer now. And I thought it was kind of interesting, but, um, I won't comment on the trailer just yet, but nevertheless, I did not see this in theaters in 2010. You and I were at the theaters together in 2010. I'll talk about that here in a minute. That's right. We were, it was not for the karate kid though. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I just kind of remember this movie and I thought, Hey, I'll, I'll, get around to it. Eventually I'll probably get to the theater eventually to see this movie. It looks kind of like a fun family movie maybe, but, uh, eh, time came and went here. We are 10 years later, still haven't seen it until for this recording, of course, but you said you like rented it for home video. Yeah, I don't really know what
0: the entire story was, but <laughs> yeah, uh, what what was the purpose behind that? I just I don't, I don't know. know. For all I know, my uncle could have rented it at one point and ended up in our hands for to watch it at, to, to what for whatever reason. So it was. I remember it was my brother and I had watched it um, together. I vaguely remember there were a couple of scenes I remember from it, but for the most part, I I I'd completely forgotten about it. Um, for all I know, I was probably only paying about half attention to it back at the time as well. So, I, I, like I said, I forget the reason why we, we rented it. Who knows? Um, but back in 2010 or around there, my brother and I had watched this together, rented from probably the library, like I said.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it was a pretty big year for cinema. I would say there was a lot of movies that came out that year that have stuck with me. Alan and I, as we've already mentioned before, we're at the theater for um, a little film called Inception. Maybe you've heard That's of right. it.
0: Yeah, we reviewed that
1: one a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and I remember you and I, opening weekend, we're seeing Inception. Uh, right. Social Network came out. That was big at the Oscars. I still have not yeah. seen it.
0: I actually, I think I own it. Yeah, I, I, I have that one. I've seen it once, and I remember
1: liking it. I need to watch it again, though. Hmm. Also, another one of our favorite movies came out this year, which we've also reviewed, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. That's right, yeah. Um, here's a long list that I'm going to try and run through quickly. Um, Black Swan, Shutter Island, Dark Movies, um, Toy Story 3. I was in the theater for that one. Iron Man so 2, was I. I was in the theater for that one. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, I was in the theater for that one. Tangled, I was in the theater for that one. How to Train Your Dragon, was not in the theater for that one. Sorry, everybody who loves that movie. Uh, The King's Speech, um, Insidious. Kicked off, that became a big yeah, deal. Yeah, that's right. I forgot that was twenty ten. So I thought it was later than that. Tron Legacy, first movie I saw on IMAX, mm-hmm. great experience. Twilight Eclipse, Incendies, which you are we are reviewing later this year. I, that's I right. Think. I, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, hopefully
0: we hopefully doing so coming out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh Prince of Persia, fun one. Book of Eli, saw that in theaters. That was great. Not a family movie. Saw with the family. Not necessarily the best idea. <laughs> um red salt expendables narnia three unstoppable predators saw that in the theater that was a funny story i'll tell someday if we ever review that movie Mm -hmm. diary of a wimpy kid night and day the sorcerer's apprentice flipped which i think is kind of a forgotten one that i really think a lot of people should look into and the wolfman which i watched Mm -hmm. like a year or two ago again that movie's great
0: Yep. If, if I haven't seen him, I've seen a good number of those that you just listed off, um, but haven't watched all of them. I at least know of all of them, at least. And of
1: course, Catherine Bigelow, James Cameron's ex-wife, kind of shocked everybody with winning the Hurt Locker for Best Picture at the Oscars in the year 2010. This movie was released Friday, June 11th, 2010, which reestablished the June pattern of the first three films. Last time around, September was just a weird time. Um, this is easily the hands down the longest in the series, running at a whopping two hours and 20 minutes.
0: Yeah, it's 15 minutes longer than the first one, which is already the longest at two hours and four minutes. So, yeah. yeah, I do remember this. I do remember the, the runtime being long from when I first watched it to now. Mm,
1: I'll be honest, that was something I've, I've mentioned in previous podcasts. I've always felt like the pacing in the other movies was kind of wonky. At a, two hours and 20 minutes for a family film, that's unusual.
0: Yeah. I mean, now it's a bit more commonplace because like every superhero movie is like two and a half hours long or are close to it at least. So, But back in 2010, I mean... Uh, Inception was about that long too, but that's a bit more, uh, a bit more mature than this one. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah,
0: this is a PG. Yeah, so you're right. Family films aren't usually t- two hours and twenty minutes long. I don't know if you can keep a lot of the kids settled
1: down for that long either. That's yeah, that's the strange aspect. So I was kind of dreading the uh, runtime, but you know what? What I gave me optimism was audiences at the time. Like this movie, really like this movie, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, we're coming hot off the heels of the garbage dumpster fire of Part Three and the next Karate Kid, as far as critical reaction goes and audience reaction. So, according to Cinema Score, which means audiences straight out of the theater gave this film an A, the highest in the series. Wow, ah, that's interesting. Now, Letterbox tells a little bit of a different story. It has a two point seven the third highest rated in the series which is pretty much straight up mediocre average um same with the imdb score technically the second highest uh score in the series with a 6.2 mm-hmm. but that's pretty pretty subpar i'd say yeah and
0: i'm sh- i'm sure that um and I, i'm i'm going to i'm going to take a wild guess and say that the rotten Tomato score isn't very magnificent either my guess is uh, because of the nostalgia with the first one, people were not very happy about there being a, sec- a, re- a remake with it um, that didn't necessarily live up to the way they thought the first one did. And thus
1: the lower scores. You know, uh, critical and audience reaction at the time was actually positive. Okay. And I think you will be surprised that, um, critically the film was given a 66% approval rating. Okay. It's actually, all right. So I'm, my assumption was wrong. And audiences have given it a 67%. I think the IMDB and letterbox ratings have come over time, but within the moment, like I said, and technically this is the highest rated film on Metascore. The only one to be in the green with generally positive reviews with a 61. Hmm. Okay, so
0: it's relatively generally liked all the way around the all the way around. It looks like Cinema is yes. higher, um, but that's good. I mean, that's it's good to see that uh, a film is generally well liked. It doesn't seem like it necessarily has an average higher scores than the first one, but it's not far behind it. Um, so that's interesting to see. i It seems like audiences were pretty, I guess, positive towards the remake. Um, despite seeing, I guess, a lower IMDb score here.
1: Yeah. As far as remakes goes, uh, audiences were very up on this film and depending on who you ask, this is either the best in the series or the second best in the series. Oftentimes you can't say that about a remake or technically the fifth entry in a franchise. Right, right. So those are scores, but what was it like money wise? Well, more positivity. Okay. It was given for 2010, a budget of $40 million. So okay. that's, you know, kind of small-ish, but, you know, for this type of movie, it's pretty good. Um, for previous entries, this is a huge budget. Um, no surprise, actually, this was number one at the box office opening weekend. Okay. And we haven't seen that since The Karate Kid Part Two back in 86.
0: That's right. Yeah. Part, parts two and three did not do well, especially part, uh, Oh, sorry, parts three and uh, technically four, I guess, did not well, do very well in the box office.
1: Remember where we started? Part one opened at number five. That's right. Yeah. Which is bad. So yeah. uh, an opening weekend gross, it made back its money with a $15 million profit on top of that for an opening weekend of $55.6 million. That's really good. Is that the highest opening weekend? This is the highest opening weekend, the highest domestic, um, foreign, and worldwide of the series.
0: Okay, so this made the most money out of all of them,
1: and that is adjusting for inflation.
0: Okay, well then, yeah, this is yeah surprisingly positive. I, I am surprised.
1: So the Karate Kid went up against opening weekend. It went up against the A Team, uh, okay. the Bradley Cooper. Liam Neeson remake of the old TV show, which, as Alan just said, it's the time for remakes yep, (laughs) or reboots or whatever. So I haven't seen the A-Team. Have you?
0: I've heard good things, but that's about as much as I've heard.
1: Yeah, I'll get around to it eventually. Mm -hmm. So A-Team came in number second, nowhere close of even touching Karate Kid's numbers with uh, 25.6 million. Number three was Shrek Forever After, which had just opened the week before. Um, number four was get him to the Greek. I don't remember that one. I don't either. I, I vaguely do. Um, and number five was Killers, which had already been out for three weeks. The okay. I think that was the Ashton Kutcher movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I know the title, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, you know, I'll probably it'll probably be free on IMDb TV or Tubi, and I'll catch it eventually. Yeah, C- catch yeah. up on all those missing gaps of movies that you know, nobody watched back in 2010. Right. So as far as its staying power at the box office, it didn't have a lot. In its second week, it dropped to number two. Its third week, it dropped to number four. In its fifth week, which... uh, No, its fourth week, which was actually 4th of July weekend, it was number six. um, And then it just went down from there. And of course, you know, 4th of July weekend... It went up against um, the Twilight Saga Eclipse. Of course, that movie is going to do gangbusters at the box office. Right. Yeah. And it uh, went up against another movie where I was there for opening weekend with a friend of ours because I thought it was going to be good. We've reviewed it. Avatar, the last airbender.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) I remember. Yeah, that we had talked about it. Not you and I, but the other guy. Yeah, we talked about it because I was jealous that you got to see it in the
1: theater. <laughs> oh, you dodged a yeah. bullet! Yeah, go yeah. back and listen to our review for that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, also, that that weekend it went up against Toy Story Three, Grown Ups, Night and Day, and yeah, everything else was still at the box office that it went up against previously, but it was all shoved down even further towards the bottom. Gotcha. So it would go on domestically to gross. 176.5 million dollars, a foreign gross of 182.5 million dollars, for a worldwide total of 359 million dollars. Yeah, so on a 40, $40 million dollar budget, that's really good. And adjusting for inflation, that would, in today's numbers, 10 years later, be 431.9 million dollars.
0: Yeah, so yeah, this is some good money. I'm. This is surprising, I, I was not expecting a remake to make, uh, I guess, this much money and also be well at least re- relatively well liked by the audiences.
1: Especially because the next Karate Kid did horrible in everything and yeah. part three did as well. And so that was kind of the death knell for the franchise. And like we said, franchise has been dormant for 16 years.
0: Yeah, yeah the last time we had an uh, update was 19- 1994.
1: So yeah. yeah, it's been a good number of years. But nevertheless, this film was huge at the box office. And as I said, none of the other movies even came close to touching these numbers Mm -hmm. uh, at the box office. And that's after inflation. I mean, like I said, the last movie in the series before this one grossed a measly $15 million. Right. Yeah, it did not do good. But nevertheless, this um, this is big time. So all of that did get me more positive on this movie. Um, give me some kind of expectation. Um, but Alan, you mentioned, do you not remember the trailers in 2010? Did you say that?
0: Yeah, I said that I, I don't remember the trailers for it. I'm, I'm sure I probably ended up seeing it at one point, but when I did watch it for, again for this review, I did not remember it.
1: Well, okay. So as 2010, you you would have been, what, like 14 years old? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so, okay, on two levels, would this appeal to you, you think, as a 14-year-old, and does it appeal to you in your mid-20s?
0: Back in back when I was a kid, I don't know, probably not, because I'd be like, nah, it's really PG, it's not for me, you know. <laughs> uh, seeing it now, I don't know, I would be very <laughs> skeptical, because it is a remake, after all of a movie that when we reviewed it, I did note that I uh, wasn't a super big fan of it. So I'd be skeptical. Um, the trailer, I do also feel when now seeing it and after watching the movie does kind of give a lot away. Um, and especially if you've seen the first one, um, there are a lot of hints here and there. So I don't know. I don't know if I'd be necessarily very positive to see it. Uh, I wouldn't be rooting to go and go, to go and see it. I would probably wait like I did uh, and rent it and see if I liked it after not being well, after the its theatrical run.
1: So now you can definitively say across all five films, none of them based upon the trailer would have got you into the theater. Yeah. For me, this movie, the trailer is exciting, adventurous. It looks like a heartwarming family film, and it would definitely get me and my family in to see this one just for a fun time. I was 15 at the time. So it was already out of my age range. Like I said, I thought, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go catch that one at the theater. Eventually, I had every intention to do it, but time slipped by and it was already out of the theater and I never looked back or worried about it. I know my sister saw it, said she liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that's strange about the trailer is the narrator voice in the beginning is really out of place and it disappears through the trailer. Yeah. Are we about to watch The Punisher? <laughs> like, I
0: mean this is like right in between the time of having the narrated voice and then just completely dropping it all together right. so he has like, like a, a couple of lines at the very beginning and then just let's go and let's the trailer do its job for the rest of his runtime.
1: it was just weird and yeah. there is that cheesy line where the villain Chang says what is he a karate kid that's not in the movie and I'm pretty sure that's not even his voice mm-hmm So, did a little trickery there, but yeah, this trailer, I liked it, and it would get me into the theater. Listeners, if you haven't seen The Karate Kid, and you don't want the film spoiled for you, then go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and check out the film, and then come back and click play, and we'll be ready to talk about it. 12-year-old Dre Parker, played by Jaden Smith, and both of his parents, Will Smith and um, Jada Pinkett Smith, both produced this movie.
0: Yeah, I did see his name in the, their names in the opening credits too.
1: So I felt like, uh, this is kind of their star power vehicle to get their son into Hollywood. Yeah, it's the Smith movie. It's the Smith movie. So 12-year-old Dre Parker and mother Sherry, played by Taraja P. Henson, move across the world from Detroit to China for Sherry's automo- automotive job. Dre makes fast friends with the kids in his apartment complex. They invite him to a basketball game where he meets Mei Ying, played by Win Wen Han. The two hit it off, but are thwarted by neighborhood bully Ching, played by Xen Wei Wang. Sorry if I don't say any of these names right, <laughs> I'm trying. Ching is the leader of his peers who all study martial arts under the tutelage of the ruthless Master Li, played by Rong Wang Yu, the master of the fighting dragons. Dre and Chang's gang continue to have fights until one day, after throwing dirty water on Cheng and getting severely beat by him, Dre is saved by his building maintenance man, Mr. Han, played by none other than Jackie Chan. Mr. Han and Dre had been striking up a friendship, but now their father-son bond is cemented through Kung Fu. The following day, Mr. Han strikes a deal with Master Li. Cheng and his goons lay off Dre until the big martial arts tournament. For the second act of the story, Dre learns to put on, take off, throw down, hang up his jacket, and his relationship with Mei Ying goes up and down as he struggles with the loss and gain of their friendship, thanks to her snooty parents. Mei Ying needs to practice her violin to become truly great someday, except her friendship and budding romance with Dre is getting in the way. In a show of respect, Dre speaks Chinese to her father and restores their friendship. Meanwhile, Mr. Han takes Dre to his village where his father taught him Kung Fu. At the top of the mountain, Dre drinks from the dragon well, imbuing him with confidence. He also sees a master practicing the cobra technique. Mr. Han explains it takes a lifetime to learn that move. Also, in a touching moment, the two bond over the loss of Han's 10-year-old son and wife in a car accident. Now that the big tournament has come, Dre squares off against the fighting dragons. Master Lee, not wanting to lose, commands his students to fight dirty in order to decommission Dre. With his leg seriously injured, it appears Chang Win will win by default. That is, until Dre pushes through the pain and in a daring final move, Cobra strikes Chang, defeating him and winning the tournament. As the Fighting Dragons leave their master and bow to Mr. Han, master and student walk off together in a classic freeze frame as credits roll. So right
0: off the bat, I mean, it's pretty similar to the first story, right? Uh, uh, mother and son move to a, you know, new place, completely new place for them. Although this is my foot they take it a step further. And instead of, you know, moving across the country, they move out, they move out of the country. They move Dude. to China. Well, you want to know how similar this movie's plot is? Did this plot sound similar to you? I mean, outside of the movie to China, everything else
1: played out pretty much exactly how the first one did. Thanks to the magic of find and replace, this is the exact same plot summary as the first movie. I just, is it really? I replaced all of the names and I added in the cobra thing, drinking from the dragon well, the mother and son dying, and the May Wing, you know, trying to repair things with their father and the violin bit. It's just the sec, because you're right, Alan, this movie is for all intents and purposes, a Kind of a complete remake, aside from shuffling the setting around, Mm -hmm. de-aging the characters a little bit. So I thought, how in the world are they going to make this movie two hours and 20 minutes? Because I hated the pacing of the first movie and thought it was way too long and needed to be cut down. Yeah, This is where, in the second act, oh my gosh, this movie, this series in second acts, oh, we'll talk about it. The second act is where they add in a lot of the extra stuff. I would say that's where they kind of carve out their place as being its kind of own story. That's where the second act takes place. But yeah, honestly, I was watching this movie and I thought, well, they're making my job easy. I literally just um, (laughs) replaced copy and replaced everybody's names and locations. That's so funny. Okay, before we
0: get too far into it, I do want to talk about the title because the title is The Karate Kid, right? Yet this movie actually doesn't have the main character learn karate like the first, I guess, the other four movies. Uh, he instead learns kung fu. Right. Um, which is... Uh, it's an interesting choice. Tr- I mean, okay, I, I guess I I can see why they would want to go to China to just make a difference between this movie and its setting and the other movies. Instead of being stuck in America, they're somewhere else where they're... Uh, basically, a fish out of water. Um but okay, it's called the kung- the karate kid and there's like a, there's a dropped line uh here and there. I think there's a couple of dropped lines like referencing karate. Um but for all intents and purposes uh the main character actually learns kung fu. Um I don't know, what what do you think about this? Cuz I think it's a little bit strange to give it the name I the name
1: karate kid. Well, I feel like they had to give it the same name just mm-hmm. for the fact that it's the exact same story. But yeah, what's wrong with the Kung Fu kid? I mean, aside from probably being mistaken for an asylum ripoff, right. uh, I, I don't know. Um, you're right. The, the word karate is, I believe, is never mentioned in this movie. I think it's I think there's one dropped line.
0: I, I want to I, I, I think there is one drop line. It may have been from um,
1: from Chang. Yeah. Um, Maybe right. You know, I I don't know the difference honestly between <laughs> kung fu and karate. Uh, this movie is not going to tell us the difference. Um, we do get a very funny scene where Dre knows some jujitsu, mm-hmm. and he could break Mister Han's hand if he wanted to. That's right, yeah. But I think the movie does the right thing by differentiating itself. He's learning kung fu. It's not Mister Miyagi. Um, he's in China. Uh, Mr. Miyagi was Japanese, mm-hmm. um, but Mr. Miyagi learned his father learned karate from 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 China, or his ancestors learned it from China. So I thought that was interesting. But right, yeah, they they're calling it Karate Kid, even though this isn't quite karate. Just to just so they can earn four hundred million dollars at the box office.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess because of the dropped line, I can kind of see a connection there. Um, calling it the Karate Kid, being that this is just like the first one, a movie about kind of overcoming your bullies. Um, I can kind of see it making it, making a connection there. Um, because like I mentioned earlier, I do remember Chang saying the, the words, what are you, the Karate Kid? Um, but that's a pretty weak, I would say a pretty weak connection, but yeah, interesting choice to name it Karate Kid and not Kung Fu Kid. I feel like at that point you might be getting, might be seeing, um, maybe some lawsuits <laughs> or, or something. Mm. People would not be very happy because it would it would be the exact same story as the Karate Kid, uh, but the titles aren't the same, so they would be confused to say. It'd be, I would say it'd be confusing if it was named something else and you see the exact same story as what happened in 1984 two, four.
1: They probably also didn't want to have any sort of association with Kung Fu Panda, which had come out two years before this. Right. Yeah. Um, And Kung Fu Panda 2 was on the horizon at this point. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing that could play into that as well. But nevertheless, this is a tried and true family movie of the 2000, the very early 2010s, late 2000s. Um, Yes, it is the way the style is set up with the bullies. One of the um, classic indicators also is the score for the film. James mm-hmm. Horner doesn't really do anything too different. I'd love James Horner is one of my favorite composers um, and he's very unique. This one is pretty much that generic um, feel good, but this is a very heartwarming kind of feel good family movie, I would say.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, in reality, you don't see a whole lot, especially ones that get this big of a budget and get this much popularity nowadays anymore. And mostly superhero movies take the limelight for, I guess, we would be a substitute for family movies now. Um, but you don't see a whole lot of PG rated movies anymore. I think Little Women was one that came out last, uh, last year that was rated PG, um, probably cl- so classified as a family movie. Um, but not much like this. Uh not not anymore. So yeah, you're right. This is very much a tried and true uh family movie. And they're going for a much younger audience now, too, because before we mentioned it was probably around, I don't know, around freshman year of high school, maybe a little bit younger. Um It, it was actually
1: um around senior year because part two is when Daniel graduates and takes place six months later. It's oh. it's hard to believe. Because Daniel That's looks right. like he's about 13 years old. I yeah. totally agree with you. But for whatever reason, he's supposed to be at the tail end of high school. <laughs> right.
0: Well, either way, they are going for a younger audience here. Yeah, they are. Um, they're going for probably around middle school-ish age. Um, yeah. That seems to be what they're going for here. So, yeah, I I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see what they could do because now they have a, a much... It's a different audience now, right? It's not the same group of, or not, not the same age range as it was in the previous movie and the first one, uh, it's a different, different audience now. And so they can, they're going to, I can see they're going to play more heavily on that family act, that family side of things. Um, especially when it comes to the main character. So yeah, I, I'm curious to see, uh, th- when the movie began, I forgotten that it was the main character, uh, James Smith was as young as he is here. So I was curious to see where it would go. Um, being that it's target audience is brown middle school
1: and you know i i appreciate that they did age it down and didn't make him a teenager because that would feel way too similar to the last four movies and there is a degree of innocence they are able to achieve with these characters this young that they're not so jaded when you become a teenager you're all old and stuff and you you know you're grown up now or whatever whereas these kids are still very young and um, I think, honestly, Jaden Smith gives a very good performance of kind of being this kind of innocent kid, He's still throwing his clothes down. Some of us still do that. But <laughs> anyways, he still, you know, throws his clothes down. And when he needs to be emotional, I think he does kind of deliver on some of those um, emotionally connective scenes with um, mm-hmm. Mr. Han, which I think we never quite got between Daniel and Miyagi, save for in part two, that really touching moment where Miyagi talks about, uh, when his father just passes away and Daniel talks about his father passing away. Um, so you're right. I think there is a level of emotions and innocence about this, that, uh, we couldn't get in the other one. So I, I, I like that they inserted it here.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I would say that, and even some of like this movie is like the other ones too, It's it's still kind of over the top. Chang is <laughs> oh, very yeah. much over the top. Um, I can kind of play some of it off here as saying, well, this is definitely taking place. It's playing off of his, what, his what, he's, what he's experiencing, right? This is more of his perception of what he's seeing than maybe what is actually real. I can kind of play it off as something going down more of that route and write off some of this cheesiness moments, like with Chang mostly, to be, you know, playing within his own mind, right? Yeah. So things are a little bit more over the top than what they actually are.
1: And of course, I would say that's true to life. Kids always interpret everything as much more drastic yeah. than it actually is, right? And so, when
0: we do get these action sequences, which I would argue have some of the best choreography of the entire series so far, um, absolutely, yeah, I would say that. You know, it's in reality, it probably isn't that cool, <laughs> but to <laughs> yeah. a kid, to a kid, this is amazing, right? Oh, sure. And so, that's kind of why I'm saying that I can write off a lot of this cheesiness. You know, a lot of this a lot of these pieces that are way over the top, like they have been for the whole series. I feel like it fits more with this movie because of its younger audience that it's going for. And you're showing it from a kid's perspective, things that in reality probably aren't really that cool. But to a kid, man, this stuff's amazing.
1: And I think the whole fish out of water story plays out a a little bit more organically Mm -hmm. in this movie than the other one. And I, I would say it is more realistic because moving from... Daniel moves from New Jersey to California. Sure, you would feel, you know, it's a new place. You Anybody would feel that anywhere. But this is a clash of cultures. Right. And it's not like America and China have exactly been friends for right. whoever knows how long. Mm. But nevertheless, this is him kind of being involved with a Chinese culture, which has a more of a militant attitude towards just, I don't know, combativeness or way of life. We see that played out more realistically, I would say with um, Master Li and the Fighting Dragons and with Chang. And um, he truly is an outsider now. He doesn't understand Chinese. I liked how he had that cultural barrier that he had to deal with. So I think his problems are a little bit more organic or realistic, something I can be a little bit more invested in than Daniel doesn't like the rich kids in California.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that because of how big the cultural divide is, uh, I can definitely see, I, I do definitely feel the same way. I feel like I'm a bit more into, you know, this character's plight than I was in the in the original movie. Um, I, I guess I, I kind of like the idea of the original movie a bit more because it does deal with a more mature audience. But I think that the way they implement it here, I think that they do a very good job. I think it's, really well implemented, um, going more for that younger audience in
1: this one. And, you know, I got to say, once uh, Mr. Han gets to fight, Jackie Chan is playing off of at least the quiet aspect of Miyagi. Mm -hmm. But I would say he comes across as more of a broken person than Mr. Miyagi. You don't want to touch Pat Morita's performance. It's Oscar nominated. Right. For Pete's yeah, sake. Yeah, yeah <laughs> um, exactly. You know, Jackie Chan, I believe, does have an honorary Academy Award. Um, so, he's no slouch when it comes to this. I mean, Jackie mm-hmm. Chan he's huge. Oh, yeah. So, I, I think it made sense to get him in on this movie. And um, Han's fight, when he's fighting all the kids, I was like kind of laughing because he is like just throwing children around and like yeah. older, older kids as well. But it's yeah. a really well choreographed fight, how he's fighting them all at once. So... Yeah, as you were saying, of all the choreography, this one is the best. I think towards the end, it looks like they're borrowing some stuff from the WWE with some pile drives and some really crazy stuff there.
0: Yeah, I would say, I mean, obviously, we were just talking about between this one and the original, the original is a bit more realistic when it comes to this kind of a thing, because as we noted, this one being played through the child's mind, it's way over the top. And so, yeah, you do see a couple of pile drives that... um, you know, you probably wouldn't see in a tournament like this, like ever, um, especially with kids <laughs> these age. Um, oh,
1: their but, bones would be broken. Oh yeah. man, it would be bad.
0: Yeah, it would not be a. It would not be good. It would not be good. But I do want. I do. I do agree. I think that uh, when it comes to Mister with the Mister Miyagi character here of Mister Han, um, he does feel like a a much broken, more a very broken character. And I, I think my one of my favorite scenes is when. uh like we had in the original one, Daniel walks in on him on Mr. Maggie drunk in his bed and finds out information about his wife and his kid. Same kind of thing happens here, but instead of um, the mom dying, instead of the wife dying in childbirth, uh, it was Mr. Han's fault. He was driving the car with mom and the kid in the in the in the car with him, and due to the rain, due to them arguing, he ran the car into and I think it was a a pole or a tree. Uh, he, he wrecked the car and ended up killing his his family right and so you do get that it's kind of a it's kind of a spooky scene heavier than i was expecting this yeah. movie to go when yeah. uh daniel or well, not daniel but uh dre walks in on him and you do get to see him like hitting the car and there's a shot of him inside the car with the uh with the uh windshield just smashed it's a, it's a really spooky scene um to put in a movie like this
1: oh yeah i found that as well especially because they've done such a great job of putting us in the shoes of a kid that age and that would be very scary to see an adult you respect just smashing the heck out of this car with a sledgehammer yeah and he's breaking down and it's like how do I connect with this guy and we know Dre's um, dad has died I'm glad they didn't try and recreate the scene from part two Mm -hmm. But I thought it was a great idea for Dre to connect with him through Kung Fu. That's what they've been practicing. So that was a way for them to kind of bond and get on each other's level and have that kind of emotional catharsis together when they use the poles and then they start moving as one together. Um, I'd say that was actually a pretty powerful scene. And I watched this with uh, both of my parents. And once that scene hit, they were like sold on the movie. They were like really into it. Yeah. Um. And that is another good point that you brought up about this movie is a bit more hard hitting than I was expecting, especially for a PG movie. It's, those kind of emotions really come at you. Yeah. And especially when the kids are fighting. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, in real life, this would be like a scene out of American History X and it'd be super violent with yeah. Ed Norton pounding people on the side of the street. Uh, it Actually, just smack the desk sorry guys i'm I'm getting too into it here but um yeah nevertheless that's a pretty good scene you might disagree with me here but i think jackie chan's emotional segments in this movie aren't quite uh what he was going for they don't quite sell me the way that the scene is trying to it's not bad but i there's not that depth that i was looking for
0: no i do agree i think that uh I think partially I, I think this because the character, the Mr. Miyagi character here, uh, Mr. Han, uh, he, he seems, well, he doesn't seem that way. He is very distant from the audience, right? We don't really know too much about him up until that scene when Dre walks in and is smashing in the car. Whereas with uh, Miyagi, uh, I felt like, I. I don't know, I guess there was a lot more to his character in that original movie. So I guess when I was when I'm comparing the two of them, what I probably shouldn't do because there are two different characters, um, but they represent somewhat the same thing. I think I found the Mio- Pomerita's performance to be a little bit more engaging than Jackie Chan's performance, in my own opinion, at least.
1: How did you feel about how this movie was shot? Because I think there were some really well shot scenes and um, the action was well shot. The shaky cam quick cuts really weren't that bad and there's a couple shots where i'm like ah oh, i kind of want to freeze frame on that um the kind of crane shot of the fighting dragons all in red um fighting out in the big open area um this car scene was pretty well shot um jane smith pulled out the tears pretty well especially through that broken glass so uh, i thought it was actually shot pretty well
0: would you agree with me if i said that i think this is the best looking movie so far of the series
1: yeah, it really is the best looking movie so far. And I understand in the 80s, you know, not all of these movies were, you know, there There was kind of a difference in the 80s. More mm-hmm. of the movies shot towards the youth, you know, really weren't trying too hard to make anything look real cinematic, I would argue. Whereas, of course, in the 80s, there still was really profound movies. I mean, Ordinary People is uh, incredible. Yep. Um, just to plot an example, and I think that movie shot super well. So, but yeah, this is the best looking one, especially coming off the next Karate Kid, I thought it was pretty uh, pretty ugly. ways.
0: yeah, I would say the, I or think TV we can quality. both agree. <laughs> yeah, I think we can both agree it was about TV quality, like you were just saying. Yeah, no, I I do think that this is the best looking movie of the series so far. Uh, shaky cam and all i do enjoy i mean we talked about it in the born reviews i like i do like shaky cam so it was kind of nice to see it here because it does give it a more realistic more grounded sense and really you do with because of it and because of the sound design and stuff and the choreography you do get to feel all these hits right so yeah no i agree i i do agree that uh, this is, in some places, I'm like, oh, that is really pretty. And given the location, given that we're in China, they really do get to show off a lot of like the aspects in some of the architecture in China, which is really cool to see. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I agree with you when you said that I wish there were parts of it where I could just pause and say, oh, that's, that's really pretty. I don't want to frame that. Yeah, there are really beautiful aspects to this movie, which is, sur- I, I'm surprised that I'm saying this, <laughs> that Uh, So far, you know, in terms of its like its visuals and in terms of, uh, I guess, a lot of the aspects of showing off, uh, they're all relatively positive. I'm surprised by this. I was not expecting this.
1: And, you know, I'm so glad that the characters that only speak Chinese, they don't magically know English. They speak their native language. They're Mm -hmm. in China. After all, that was one of my big complaints. Uh, Go back and listen to our review of Karate Kid Part Two they're in Japan. Why aren't they speaking Japanese? Why is everybody speaking English? It ju- That felt pandering to American audiences. Whereas this one, I appreciate that there is a, quite a bit of subtitles in this movie, especially for, you know, PG 2010 family film. I was kind of surprised about that. But nevertheless, I was pleased about that because it felt more authentic. And honestly, that felt more engaging because it did a great job of putting us in the shoes of Dre, who is just kind of, confused and bewildered in this place that he just doesn't understand. So I really appreciated that.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I do like that we do get to see like some of their customs, right? I think it's called the uh, Chi Shi festival. I think it's how they say it. Um, You do get to see that play out. how that fits into the whole plot is a different story, but you it is kind of cool to see some of like the, the culture that China has, or I guess there are more centered around Beijing. Um, but the culture that of around Beijing, you know, they do get to show a lot of that off. I, I think that's, I mean, like I said, it makes the movie look visually engaging and is also interesting and very pretty.
1: And you know, I kind of mentioned earlier that I wasn't too enthused with the second act. I I did like it. Don't get me wrong. I think this, I think these movies just still kind of have this issue of the second act has so much stuff to fit into it that it is hard to kind of like keep my interest in some way. So um, I went five for five with the series. I did doze a little bit (laughs) during the second act. Yeah. I rewound it. I didn't miss anything. But, you know, I really liked that I felt like this second act was more coherent and contained than the second act in that first movie, which felt wildly meandering between um, Daniel and his girlfriend and learning from Miyagi. This one felt more purposeful with the, and I, I thought it was, I'm like, okay, they got to figure out a wax on wax off because um, they kind of never lived up to it after the first one. The whole code on, code off, hang it up, put it down. Yep. Uh, they they did it. He, you know, the way he has to block in different angles, it all made sense. So I thought that was a pretty exciting payoff.
0: Yep. They, and they do actually have a, I guess, a technically a wax on wax off moment. Uh, I, I think both of the like, original Karate Kid references happened like not long after each other. De- Dre walks into, um, uh, Mr. Han's like house and he's like, he's waxing his car and he could, mm. do get to see him as wax on left hand wax off right hand or however yeah. they have it in the first movie. I did notice that. I was like, all right, uh, clear, clear. Yeah, it's a, that's a callback. You know, I mean, they're waxing the
1: car. How could it not be? And, you know, this movie, thankfully, I would say gives us a bit more. I could be wrong, but it, at least to me, it felt like we had more time at the tournament in, in the, in this movie the tournament felt so rushed and it's like, we're kind of working towards that as kind of a goal of the film as a major Mm -hmm. segment of the film. And that, that ending felt like stupid rushed. Um, and I was really disappointed with that. Whereas this one felt like everything was given a bit more time. Yeah. They do properly give
0: the main antagonists, you know, they give him the trophy and he has to give it to our main character. Uh, Like the first one where it was so quick that, you know, if you blinked, you would have missed that it was actually uh oh man, what's his name? Johnny? Yeah, it was actually Johnny who gave it to her. man who gave it to Daniel. This yeah. one they they make it a point. Like you you'd see Chang take the trophy and then hand it over
1: to to Dre. And you know, I'm glad they didn't do the crane kick again. They did Cobra instead, which yep. was a cool thing. I like how he psyched out Chang because um Han said you got it backwards. It's not the person following the cobra. uh, no, it's not the cobra following the person. It's no, I'm getting it backwards. You got Anyways, it backwards.
0: the person. Yeah. It's not the, it's not the person following the cobra. It's the cobra
1: following the person. Exactly. So it's the, it's, you're not following your opponent. Your opponent is following you. And I like how it kind of psychs him out there with his head and does that really crazy backwards kick and smack down and So definitely an exciting scene how he Mm -hmm. pulls that out. And he wasn't taught that. He kind of just had it within him. So it's kind of fun. Right. You know what? I will say there is a missed opportunity once again here, though, for all the things that I feel like they are correcting and doing right. I feel like I wish they would explore the bullies and the teacher a bit more, too. Don't just make them these one dimensional people. Why are they the way that they are? I think we can explain it away culturally a a little bit more. Like I said, China has an army of like 3 million people or something crazy like that. Mm -hmm. They have a more militant mindset over there as well. Um, But, you know, uh, we just don't really explore that as well. And come on, fighting dragons? Cobra Kai is way cooler. Yeah,
0: I agree. And I think I'm a bit more okay with it here um, because... They, I will say this, we haven't really seen this uh, for a good number of movies, but the villains leave a like completely disappear uh, for a good portion of the movie, which is nice because I was hoping that it wouldn't be like a Karate Kid part two situation where the, the main and the main villain just keeps showing up over yeah. and over and over again. That's true. They do kind of in the beginning, but after a certain point, they like they completely disappear. Um, which I find to be actually kind of nice, um, given
1: what we've seen before. Well, once again, I guess I want to spend a little bit more time because they do have these bullets. They did the same thing in part three with Mike Barnes training with silver increase. It's like, give us something outside of a 32nd montage. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the philosophy a little bit more aside from no mercy, no weakness. We get it. This guy is like worse than Kreese. Master Lee is crazy as can be. Um, is it too much to ask? Like, Do you do you think it would have been wrong if um, Master Lee and Mr. Han had some sort of connection? Or are you glad they just don't know each other?
0: I don't know. I guess I'm okay with them not necessarily having a, that much of a connection because there it's subtle there, like in the first one, that uh, their view of in this movie Kung Fu um, their view of how kung fu should be taught and then implemented is very, very different, and that's why they're all of a sudden completely at odds of each other the moment they meet each other. Right? Same thing here, but I think that the the original Karate Kid does do a better job of like cementing that um, because they do have a bit more of a conversation, and you do get more time with Kreese um, before Miyagi meets up with him. Um, you do kind of got to kind of get to see more, I guess, of how his teaching style uh, is effective of uh, his of his students. So in this one, I think it's handled kind of weirdly because uh, Han and Dre just walk into the studio one day for reasons
1: I don't don't understand yet. Um, So I don't know. Well, so I was confused about that too, because I thought Dre said, will you go into school with me to talk to like the principal Mm -hmm. to rectify this? Uh, No, he meant to go to his dojo master to figure this out, which clearly was a bad idea and Clearly was a setup for the tournament. Of course, they're right. going to have to fight to solve their differences. Right. But, um, yeah, no, I, I guess I didn't mind it either. Um, I almost half expected it, but that that would probably be too cliche, honestly. It was probably the right choice not to do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, you know, I can excuse also not exploring these bullies too much, but just the fact that they're kind of using this ancient tradition of Kung Fu on an outsider to just kind of exert their power and bully him into it. Whereas it was never explained why a bunch of rich kids in California were learning karate from a Vietnam vet. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. This one makes far more sense. And I like how, um, Mr. Han takes, Dre up up to the mountain, up to the temple, where he's like, this is where my father took me. This is kind of your coming of age, your rite of passage, where mm-hmm. clearly showing you that I trust you, that you're ready. And uh, I really thought that was a m- more endearing thing. I guess I was kind of missing some of that stuff between Miyagi and Daniel, even though I still liked their relationships. I just think they're kind of capitalizing it upon it a bit better here. And, you know, I don't know if this is something Daniel could have ever said to Miyagi, but there is that moment when dre leaves mr han and he says love you mr han yeah and mr han just kind of like takes a moment to like let that sink in um think about how his son has gone has gone away and, and he doesn't have him anymore i right. I, I really like that I, I really like that actually yeah I, there is also a kind of a funny moment when the
0: mom drops him off at school that for the first day and funny. she goes love you dre and dre doesn't see anything back and she goes dre i said i love you and he goes
1: okay mom, I love you too. Yeah, we that, haven't really, that
0: got a genuine laugh out of me.
1: We really haven't brought that up, but I would say that there is some pretty fun humor in this movie for all the mm-hmm. fighting. There's some like nice lightheartedness uh, between the characters, whether it's like culturally awkward moments that come across as funny. Or like I said, I like Dre as this kind of funny kid, you know, he's bouncing around and he's like my aunt boyfriend, new Brazilian jujitsu. And, grabs Miyagi's hand and he's or Han's hand he's like, I could break it, but I'm choosing Mm -hmm. not to. And (laughs) yeah. Just those like cute things that little kids do, you know, where they just think they're all tough and they're all that and they're really not, but it's just kind of endearing in that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well before we get too far,
1: what do you think about the mom character? Ah, okay. So once again, the mom character is set up and are off (laughs) the Yeah, she shows up here and there every
0: once in a while, but yeah, she doesn't get too much uh, outside of, like,
1: she's the mom to Dre. She's the mom to Dre. We get strong telegraphing about Dre picking up his coat, and that's the inspiration for Miyagi. Yeah, You know, I like that. They kind of drive it home a little too much, but I'm sure kids at the time could relate to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, nevertheless, she I wish she probably would have had a little bit more emotionality to it. It just feels really weird because the parent relationship is between Han and Dre and not between um, the mom and uh, Dre, which you would think. I, I, I don't know it just is awkward because he has to have a parent, but the parent, it's just not their role. It's just not their place. It's not their movie. It's, it's the master and student. It's the father and son. That's really a part of this or father and daughter. If you want to include part four, but you know what? They got to kind of bring her in to have some kind of purpose. She gives the inspiration for the coat and then she served her purpose. She's done. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: feel like they, the moms between the two movies that they think that they do play are roughly about the same role. Um, I think that mom here does play have does have more screen time, um, but they play relatively the same role.
1: Randy Heller's character in the first movie was utterly pointless. Honestly, she did nothing to connect with Daniel or push the plot along. Mm -hmm. That's my thought. So speaking of female characters, what do you think of Mei Ying's character? Uh, I,
0: if listeners I, could see your face right now, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't know what, really what to think of her. Um, mm. Mm. I I'll, I'll say this: I I do like her character. I think that she's a very likable person. Um, I I guess I don't necessarily feel, and it's okay. It's fine. I I, I was expecting the movie to pull an out girl character, and at first I was thinking, oh well, they're just going to be friends, kind of like how maybe a bit more on the on the actual actually being friends side. Than what part three did, um, but no. Once they get to the Chi, Chi Festival, uh, that's kind of all blown out of the water, mm-hmm. uh, and they have a they have a little smooch. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know. I I guess I, I like her character, like I said, um, but like I have mentioned before, I do wish that there was I, more for her to do. I think that she does do the most, or has a bit more of an impact on the plot than what would be seen before. Um, because she does have, they do make a promise, you know, uh, well, I'll come to your tryout if you come or yeah, I'll come to your tryout if you come to my tournament. Right. And they make that pact. Um, and they try to relate them by the actual Chi Chi festival, like the story that they tell. Uh, but I, yeah, I don't know. And you can't go too deep either with a girl character and as a level interest with a kid. No, no. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence. I don't really know exactly how to feel about her.
1: You know, he needs a friend his age, and mm-hmm. having that friend be the opposite sex makes sense because, hey, they're on the cusp of being teenagers, even though they don't look like it. But yeah, it's been a long time since I was thirteen, so or twelve. So right, I don't know. It's hard for me to remember that far back. I'm getting old, but anyways yeah so you know i appreciate that you know i'm sure female members in the audience that are little girls around this age or tween girls whatever you want to say um you know i think they could probably relate to it so far as she does a good job turning in this kind of sweet innocent performance and she's trying to help him out and look after him, and um, they kind of have some fun dance moments together which is kind of cool mm-hmm. um I didn't like that they took the relationship out of being platonic into romantic. That um, just felt really strange and kind of inappropriate to me um, that they kissed. Uh, I don't know. That just didn't feel right to me because they were so young. And um, yeah, like you said, relating it to the Tichy Festival, which made it even more awkward because you could see their silhouettes and only yeah. the mom noticed it. Um Look at other faces in the crowd. They don't notice it. So mm-hmm. um, and then it goes from a romantic kind of back down to platonic. Um, they really should have kept it just friends. And um, I like that, you know, her parents are like, can't be friends with him. And he kind of wins back the honor and whatnot. So, you know, they're kind of just following it from the first one. But I got to say, I kind of like this relationship the best out of any of the movies um, between the kids.
0: I kind of kind of agree with you on that one too. That I think this is, to me at least, the one of the probably the most engaging of the relationships because because he, she does have this added element where she, you know she's she has a hard family that's on her on about always doing her best and stuff. So there is a, already that cultural divide, and there was. Um, oh man, what's her name for part two? Is it Yumiko? Uh, Kumiko, that's it
1: Kumiko. and there I, I mean
0: and Kumiko, Kumiko had is pretty is somewhat similar to this character where she's from a completely different place a cultural divide between the main character and her um so there the, I did I did see kind of a, a similarity between and in, in that aspect um so I, I don't know I guess I can I can agree with you I think she's the best um girl character that we probably have had because it is a little bit more plutonic not completely. Um, but (laughs) it is a little bit more, it does make the argument that they, it feels like they're more like friends than they are, you know, trying to, than they are boyfriend, girlfriend, not completely, but they do go down that route more, um, than
1: what we've seen before. Well, Alan, I'm, I'm actually really curious (laughs) now. What is your rating and recommendation for the karate kid? I went into
0: this movie, you know, not exactly expecting it to be good. I went into it. Kind of wondering, okay, what's this going to be about? I know it's seen before, but I remember like nothing from it. Is it going to be like a, just a worthless, a worthless remake like we've seen before? Is it even worth telling the story again? And I was pleasantly surprised. It's not perfect. They're, I feel like the scene when they go up the mountain is drawn out a bit too long. Uh, the scene when they go visit the dojo feels, uh, why are they there? Why did they go there, you know? Um, the villain that runs the other dojo, um, it does not have any tie to, uh, to Mr. Han. Um, so there are things here that I, I, I clearly don't like at all. Um, but I think as an overall package, however, I think it's a different story. I, I won't say that I love it, but I I do think that I found it, I found it to be uh, the, I will say this. I did find it to be probably the best karate kid that we have. Um of all the of all four, of all five technically movies that exist right now, this one I feel was the best. But it isn't 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 perfect. But I think that smartly playing down smartly pulling down the age of our main of our main lead, allowing the fighting aspects to be played up some more because you're telling it from his perspective, and going down this route of, you know, a brand new territory that being China and learning and learning things about that, the things about their culture. I think that's a smart way of going about it. That way kids can learn something and you can still have an engaging story. Although the plot still being largely the same as the first movie does kind of make it feel like, okay, I've already seen this before. I know where it's going to go. So when the term, it does get there while the fighting was engaging I knew where it was gonna end up. And they do kind of play like maybe he won't win. And I kind of wanted to go that way, just you know, to hammer in that message that they had there at the very end, but they never really went that that down that route. Anyways, uh, with all everything said and done, I am gonna leave it with a six out of 10, but I'm gonna give it a, uh, a, a pretty solid recommend, um, especially for, you know, if you liked one, if you liked like the original, I think that you'll like this one. It's for a bit of a different audience. But I think there's enough here. So 6 out of 10, solid recommend.
1: It is odd that they did a remake of the classic 80s Karate Kid movie. I mean, you'd ask anybody and they would say it's needless. That first film is beloved. So what are they doing remaking that movie? Well, this one does something the first film never quite could accomplish for me. Capture my attention. I'm pulled in by Jaden Smith's innocent and humorous performance. Jackie Chan is a solid substitute for Mr. Miyagi, and the refreshing locale of China and its culture provides new intrigue. As far as this narrative goes, this is the best iteration we've gotten so far. This is a sweet family movie, carrying over the positive lessons from the original, even more exciting kung fu fight scenes and touching moments of emotionality. Sometimes those emotions don't quite pay off and just come across as sappy, but there's enough interest here for families to get behind. Despite dreading the 140-minute runtime, I was pleasantly surprised this movie found a decent pace, albeit with the packed second act that tested my attention. For what it is, a family movie, I had a nice time, and so did my family. The fifth entry is a solid effort to reinvigorate the long-past-stale franchise. The Karate Kid receives 7 stars out of 10, with a recommend. Oh man, that's that's higher than I was expecting, a 7, wow. You know, I almost gave this movie a six. It's definitely leaning closer to a six than it is a seven. But I didn't really want there to be any mistake because I did give the Karate Kid part three a six out of 10. And I think this movie is far better than that one. Mm. I think the Karate Kid part three is so bad. It's good and wildly entertaining for me. So for that reason, I almost put this one above this one. But no, I mean, if I'm going to watch a Karate Kid movie... It's going to be this one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, Alan, is this? <laughs> I, okay, you might have a different answer than the past four times. Is this a pickup or pass for this Karate Kid film?
0: I think I'm still going to pass for this one. Oh, gosh. But like I said with part part two, the fact that I had to think about it does have some credence to it, right? So it's still going to be a pass, but,
1: you know. Well, it's going to be a pickup for me, and the reason that is is because it's going to be in the five-film box set that's pretty cheap. Right. But, you know, nevertheless, this is one I would return to. Um, My family didn't get to watch the whole movie. Um, I'd love to have it for my future children someday, so I, I would like this one in my collection. It's pretty good, actually. So I got to say, I'm pretty shocked that there's not a sequel to this movie, considering it was pretty much loved by audiences. Critics, you know, gave it a pass Mm. and um, it did extremely well. It made 10 times its budget at the box office, pretty much.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised that they didn't go down the route of a sequel. And Jaden Smith now is older, like way older. So he's I don't know how old he is. He's probably high school, if not older than that. So maybe they could do a second one, in High School, if they decide to do that. I've heard nothing about it.
1: So. I Yeah, I never heard anything about a sequel either. It was never announced. It was never teased. Mm-hmm. It was talked about and it was planned. Um, apparently, Breck Eisner was initially set to direct. In June 2014, the film got new writers. Eisner left as director in April 2017. It was possible Eisner came back on board to direct the film. Great. And Jackie Chan did say in 2017 that, and by this point, we're seven years out from the movie. I mean, that's pretty, pretty far off, wildly different. And even 2014 is very, very long ways away from this movie. Um, if this movie was going to get a sequel, it'd be coming out in 2012, 2013 at the latest, probably. Mm. Um, yeah, it, this basically just... They couldn't get their act together, from what I understand. Um, there, it was changing hands with directors, changing hands with writers. Um, Jackie Chan didn't think the script was all that good. As we know, Jaden Smith went on to star with his dad... In Imnite Shaman Lawns After Earth. That's right. Uh, which I totally forgot about until right now. That's right. He uh he,
0: he began his career with Pursuit of Happiness, um which it. is a movie that Stress is way too out to watch. Um and then I think
1: is After Earth the most recent thing he's been in. Oh, I have no idea. I think him and his sister in music um, it, yeah, it's he's done a sh- lot of
0: like music videos and stuff,
1: but yeah, it's just shocking. We never got a, a sequel to this one.
0: He was that there was promotional material. I I briefly remember this of, uh, Jaden and Justin Bieber doing never say never, which is that's, the ending credits song for this. Yep, yeah,
1: That's the ending credits song, mm-hmm. which really shocked me. I was like, wait a minute. I've forgotten. I, I completely forgot before.
0: Yeah. Well, do you want to do rankings of the entire credit Kid uh, retrospective?
1: Yeah, I think if you've listened to these reviews, you might know how this goes. But if you're just jumping in now, I think you're going to be pretty shocked <laughs> with my rankings for the series. So I'll let you go ahead first, Alan. All right. Well,
0: like I said, credit Kid 2010 to me is the best one so far. So Karate Kid 20 t- t- 2010 makes, takes the first spot. Credit Kid 2 takes the second spot. Karate Kid 1, Karate Kid 3, and of course the next Karate Kid. I'm a a little bit surprised by this that the first one which I've heard, uh, that's like the only one I've actually heard anything about um, hits my number 3 spot.
1: My rankings are The Karate Kid 2010 The Karate Kid Part 3 is my number 2. It's so bad it's good. My number 3 is The Karate Kid Part 2. My number 4 is The Karate Kid And my number five is the next Karate Kid. So yours doesn't really surprise me. And yours is probably close-ish to what most people would say. Most people would probably say Karate Kid 1, Karate Kid 2010, Karate Kid 2, 3, 4.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Mine is pretty close to, I guess, what you would mostly see. Um, but my guess is, *Credit yeah. K1* would be at the top of the list. If not the top of the list, then like number two, right below *2010* remake.
1: So now we can actually give our average rankings for average rating for the entire series. Uh, it's not pretty. It's um, yeah. not pretty. So for me, on average across five films, my average rating is five out of ten. Um, it's going to be just a straight up not recommend. As for you, Alan, mm-hmm. well, you're sitting pretty at a four out of ten. Ah, uh, yeah. For the whole series,
0: uh, yeah, I can't say I recommend it as a whole series. Uh, maybe Credit Kid. I can recommend the first. I can say that the first three are more closer to recommends. If they aren't already recommends, um, that being Credit Kid twenty ten, Credit Kid two, and Credit Kid one. I think actually Credit Kid one is one I actually didn't recommend out of those three. Um, you, you,
1: the only, you've only recommended Karate Kid 2010 and you did actually recommend a Karate Kid part two. You yeah. recommended nothing else.
0: Yeah. I, I just barely.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Karate Kid part two was, you gave it a five out of 10. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's like barely on that line. Right.
0: As an overall package, I can't say I recommend the Karate Kid series. No.
1: Yeah, you know what? Um, Listeners, skip this one. If you want something so bad, it's good. Go for part three. If you want something that's the Karate Kid narrative and actually good, then go with the 2010 remake. Um, Yeah, so I only recommended part three out of that. Sure, it was so awful, but it was so great at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, But otherwise, I've recommended nothing else except this new one. Um, Yeah, a lot of fives. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's I did give a, I did give out a one. You gave out a two, and you gave out a four, and I never gave out a four. You were um, actually in the red more than me. Um, we were both in the green the same amount, but I was in kind of the orange, which I which is I give an orange to five. It's kind of sitting there in the middle. Oh yeah. I was there more, so I guess you could say it probably evens out <laughs> overall. Yeah. But yeah, uh, let the record show. Alan um, hates this series by one point more than me.
0: Exactly. Yes. I, I can. I, I absolutely despise this series.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so now I can give you also just rundowns before we close up the podcast here of the rest of the series, how it averages out. So on average, the series has a 2.8 on Letterboxd. Bad. Um, good. Not good. It, on average, it has a 5.8 on IMDb. Also not good. 44% critics on Rotten Tomatoes. That's That's rotten. 52 percent for audiences which hey that's a little over half that's true but I think it still counts as a spilled bag of popcorn <laughs> it technically does yeah and metascore straight up 50 which is generally yeah. mixed
0: that is yellow so that's not red which is the best uh score so far of the series
1: so overall weekend gross the film didn't even gross a hundred million dollars it tried. That's pretty pathetic. Um, domestically it grossed four hundred thirty million. Foreign, only one hundred eighty nine million. So this series has a worldwide total of adjusting for inflation. This is a billion dollar series. Really? Yeah, um, one billion thirty nine million dollars. This these five films have grossed, adjusting for inflation.
0: Right. Yeah they they don't count that, but that is interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. Technically, I mean, it took them five films, but this is a billion dollar franchise. Yeah. If shocking not just inflation. <laughs> if you just, so without, a, without inflation, it's $620 million. Okay. Which, I mean, Almost Black Panther <laughs> ran circles around that. Uh, Deadpool yeah. ran circles around that. I mean, yeah. Toy Story 3, Frozen 2. I mean,
0: yeah, anything Disney ran circles around that.
1: Anything Disney can run circles around this. So, you know what, Sony. Hand over the reins to Disney. You did it with Spider-Man and you were hit with it. So although Sony did make um, into the Spider-Verse, which is technically considered the best, most popular Spider-Man movie of all time. True. Yeah. I don't know. Tony, you can't figure him out half the time. <laughs> so I have no idea what to recommend. <laughs> I have one movie. I have
0: one movie. Kung Fu Panda. I think you mentioned it earlier. Kung Fu Panda, I think, would be a perfect uh, recommendation to watch after this. I think I watched that one in the theater, too. Either way, I think it's a, from what I remember of it, a better movie than this and has great action sequences uh, because it is animated, so they get a bit more freedom (laughs) with that. So, I would recommend that. If you like this, definitely watch Kung Fu Panda. They both deal with Kung Fu, technically, so there you go.
1: I don't know. I feel like this is kind of a really cliche plot that we've seen a ton of times and I'm trying to, it's like so cliche every, like so many movies has these plots. I'm trying to think of something else that has a movie that has this plot where they have to overcome the bad guy. Okay. I'm going to recommend another Jackie Chan movie. It's the only one I've only ever seen. I'm going to recommend the spy next door. Oh, I haven't seen that, but I know of it. I'm very curious to see the foreigner with Jackie Chan. One of his more recent action movies. Yeah, uh, I can't recommend it because I haven't seen it, but uh, I don't know. We can watch it together, listeners, and follow Alan and I and Letterboxd, and maybe you will see that pop up on there someday. Yeah. That's as much as I could recommend it. Um, I'm also going to recommend um, Parasite. Also. That's an interesting choice. <laughs> I'm going to recommend it. Because of the, I think these movies kind of have some heavy subject matters, but there also is some um, humor mixed in with it as well. So if you're looking for an an Asian foreign film, then why not recommend Best Picture of the Year? That has some similar feelings to it in some ways. But totally not for kids. Totally not for kids. Absolutely not. This one is great for families. Uh, If your family's older, I watched it with my family. They all loved it. Mm-hmm. Didn't they didn't quite understand all of it except my dad <laughs> except my dad but uh no definitely uh i just popped it on the other night because i was like uh i just really want to rewatch this movie so yeah parasite well the question after the show listeners is is this the best entry in this in the franchise is the fifth entry actually the best one how often can you say that i mean i can say the fourth mad max film is the best one we've reviewed right. all those right right But yeah, that's what I want to know because clearly Alan and I think so. This is the best one, shockingly enough. Well, listeners, just an FYI, this is my second to last review before I will be leaving you for a little while. Next week, we are coming back to review Soldier, which is a part of the Alien and Blade Runner universe. Oh, it's it's an Alien now too?
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
1: this this title,
0: this movie gets, it keeps getting more interesting to me the more we talk about it and i haven't seen it yet
1: i haven't seen it yet i'm, I'm not trying to get your hopes up and saying we are reviewing something on the caliber of blade runner or alien but nevertheless it is still a part of that universe it's considered a sidequel to blade runner mm-hmm. so i'm utterly fascinated to watch it it's streaming on hbo max right now but that will be my last review with you forever no I'm I'm just, I'm just (laughs) Just, kidding just for
0: about a month and a half or so.
1: Um, yeah, just a tip over a month. I think I'll think I'll be off Mm -hmm. the show for about five weeks. So, um, so I'm actually getting married this Saturday. Hence I will be on my honeymoon. I'm going to be taking some time off from the podcast. I, oh dear, I have been running ragged trying to get all the final details done with, uh, the wedding and the honeymoon. So yeah, I will be gone. It'll be, um, this Saturday and, but you know what? I'll still be with you because two days after uh, my wedding, you'll get to hear me review soldier. Now, of course I will have been done. I will have been dead and gone for many years now. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, of course, through the magic of podcasting, I'm reviewing this way in the past. So by the time you're hearing this, um, By the time you hear soldier, I will have already be married at that point with seven grandchildren. No, I'm I'm just kidding. Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. (laughs) But yeah, just wanted to let you know, listeners, that um, I'm getting married this Saturday. This will be my second to last podcast. I will be back with you one more time um, September 14th, um, next Monday to review soldier. And then it'll be Alan and some special guests reviewing um, some surprise movies. We probably won't be putting out bonus stuff unless Alan wants to put out some really brief reviews of new 2020 movies Um, just on Saturdays. um, If you haven't heard my review of Project Power, that's up. By the time you're listening to this, I'll probably have a couple other 2020 releases up that come out on Saturday. Those reviews are super short. Those are kind of quick um, sub five minute reviews of of brand new movies. Um, But nevertheless, the next time you'll see me, you'll see me next month with our Halloween special that has uh, yet to be announced. I'm going to come back and surprise you with that. Uh, we will be reviewing the Halloween special this year. So that'll be the next time that I see you, listeners. Of course, I'm going to miss doing this. I'm going to miss uh, putting out the podcast for you every month. But, you know, we've been doing this for a couple of years now without too much of a break. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say last time we had any kind of significant break was college aside from probably maybe a week off at Christmas or something. But even then, we do take time off, but we record so far in advance that um, you never know that we take the time off. Exactly. So all of that being said is, of course, I'll miss you, but I'll be very excited to come back with a Halloween special. And from there, we're going to jump into reviewing the Denis Villeneuve films we haven't reviewed in anticipation for dune please let it come out and please let it come out and not look bad or anything because they had to do all the graphics from home Mm -hmm. i know um by the time this episode is out many of you may have already seen tenant supposedly it's coming out september 3rd here theatrical in the u.s supposedly i won't believe it until i see it yeah Ah, yeah i agree so just kind of a heads up on that listeners um we are working to find out where we can put that into the schedule clearly it comes at an unfortunate time when i'm on my honeymoon and i'm off the show so and i'm a part of that series so it's not just like alan can just go review it by himself and yeah yeah go off like we went on this big journey to review all 10 of nolan's films so don't worry i know it's probably not going to come out as soon as you would that you and we would like it to. But we will get around to Tenet um, sometime this year. Sometimes before the year is out, we will finish up our known series with Tenet. Hopefully, if it is, if it really does come out theatrically, but hopefully that is the case. Alan, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. All right, listeners, we will see you next week with Soldier. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content, such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe, whether you're on YouTube, Apple, google or stitcher or your favorite podcast service and while you're at it please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast we love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you so don't forget to share with your friends and family and we'll see you next week listeners <sighs> all right i'm back okay. <laughs> this, this makes me think of um stewart on a blooper once was like i'm now playing he's like if the cast like if the listeners knew how many times we had to like pause to go to the bathroom <laughs> 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 okay all right i don't know i feel like this is kind of a really cliche plot that we've seen a ton of times and I'm trying to th- it's like so cliche every like so many movies has these plots so I'm trying to think of something else that has a movie that has this plot where they have to overcome the bad guy
0: mm. I don't know uh, How to Train Dragon you can recommend that one that one's somewhat close I'm not gonna recommend that one <laughs> <laughs> uh gosh
1: I, I, I don't know credit kid or no Uh, you can do Kung Fu Panda too. <coughs> Listeners, I am recommending Kung Fu Panda 2. There you go. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I always forget?
0: Uh, I always get mixed up. The pacifier and the spy next door. There's a scene in the trailers for one of them. Probably the pacifier. Uh, Main guy drives wicked van and then they (coughs) finally parks and the girl goes on. She goes, land!
1: That's the pacifier. I've seen that movie about two dozen times. Okay. That's what I thought. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, always get, I always get them mixed up. I always get these two. I always get the spy next door and the pacifier mixed up.
1: Okay, so they're basically the same movie.
0: Oh um, well, that would be why. I've only seen. I've always seen. It, I've always seen the, I, I think I maybe have seen the pacifier most of the way through. I haven't seen. I think I maybe. I think I've seen scenes from the spy next door. Um, so I guess that okay. makes sense then.
1: I'm also recommending the pacifier too.
0: Oh, okay, there we go. Okay. <laughs>